Hey everybody, it's Chris Scalzo here. You're about to hear our discussion with Gomez from Playlist Wars. A great show, great concept. He'll explain all of it during the show. But I just want to give you a little heads up too. This is a little bit older. We recorded this a little while ago. I was actually very sick at the time. I clearly have since recovered. But we've been pocketing this one for a while. We wanted to save it for the right moment. And we really feel now is the time with the holidays coming up. you got some travel going on, National Treasure, Family films, right? Lots to enjoy. We had a great conversation with Gomez, so enjoy. Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell and featuring super special guest. Gomez. Gomez, thank you so much for joining us. We've been trying to get this done for a little while now. I ran into a little illness. You can probably hear it in my voice, actually, even now as we speak. But before we jump into our super special uh, episode of the First Run Focus, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? What's up with Playlist Wars, which is a great little show? Uh, break it down for us. Uh, first of all, my name is Gomez. I do have a first name. It is Alex. So Alex I- works. So it's Alex Gomez, but everyone has known me for many years as Gomez. Uh, you know, dating back since high school, there were a few Alexes in my high school. So mm. when people said Alex, I'm like, we're all which one? So every class was like that. I just said, call me Gomez. So I, I had that same problem in mind too. When I because being Chris in my advanced age, there were five Chris's in my homeroom. So I know I know your pain. Yeah, three of them in my homeroom alone with uh, well, not with the last name Gomez, but well, in the G family. <laughs> Uh, let's just say that um you know i'm just a normal guy who loves movies loves music loves video games i'm on a i'm on my show with my co-host brian colburn at playlist wars uh it's a little concept that me and brian came up with two best friends and a special guest pick a, a group to talk about or, or a genre and we talk about the 10 best songs of that time you know we had some recent episodes like queen from um with leah from She Will Rocky podcast. We did Weird Al Yankovic with uh, Lauren Carey from Beard Al podcast. We did a couple of other great things, you too, uh, mm. from with Chris Hartman from uh, the film's Exile and 80 soundtrack with him too. So we do a little bit of everything here. I'm going to tell you, Matt and I, I don't know, Matt, should I talk about this now? I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. We, we talked, to, we listened to that show too. Um, the 80s, being that this was what we grew up with, particularly me. I'm much older right. than Matt. So uh, my, my wheelhouse is basically 80s, right? It's my formative years. It's, it's 5 to 15 is mm-hmm. 1980 to 1990, 89, right? So we have some problems. We have some issues with that episode. So, well, I, helpful critiques. So what we're actually planning on doing in the next week or so is recording a rebuttal episode to okay. that. So some things you guys absolutely nailed, but there's some things where I was like, I was, I, I, I was heartbroken. I was crestfallen, but some absences from all three of your, three of you that didn't come up with some of these. So we're very excited and we will keep you posted on that when that is ready to go. I'd be looking forward to hearing that because yes, we, uh, we did get a little bit on the, uh, side on that a couple other podcasts said the same thing to us. How did you miss this, this, and ah. this? So you're not the only ones, guys. You're not okay. the only ones. So you guys have all the right to say something. I'm cool with it. Uh, <laughs> because it, it's it's all about matter of opinions. You know, I went with the 10 best songs that I figured. So did Chris. So did Brian. Right. And and I'll tell you, there's there's been some hard episodes. Oh, uh, sure. That, 
you know, like Tom Petty's a hard mm-hmm. one. Uh, Brian, Brian loves Tom Petty and the Cars tremendously, like two of his favorite albums. And as our results shows, he actually won those two episodes mm. um, just because of his knowledge of the bands. And then I won some, which I kind of won Eric Church, uh, which he's a country uh, superstar episode two for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that featured John Laurie from the Tantric Band. He's a drummer from Tantric. Oh, wow. And um, I was kind of surprised. Eric Church Country was not in my wheelhouse. And I pulled a win out of episode two. It's <laughs> That's a, impressive. Like a a cinderella story as brian said to me so <laughs> it's one of those things um brian and i are best friends 25 years we met in high school back in high school when i was an eighth grader he was a senior mm. he was uh my my buddy for the day and people thought we were twins uh. at one point because we looked kind of alike except i had a tan he didn't uh, being being hispanic he was being big time white boy as i would say <laughs> to him um you know 25 years of friendship you know we uh we have our families are together. Uh, you know, we're in our bo- each other's weddings. Uh, oh, we great. both have our kids. We love them very much. You know, I love his girls. Like he loves my kids. Like if they are their own, uh, you know, we, we have such a great bond. And one thing I love about our show is our commodity during the show, how much mm. fun we have with it. And, um, you know, I started bringing in some of the movies into it and I'm like, you know, I needed something to spice up our show a little bit after two episodes and with Metallica and Eric church, and yeah. I started dropping movies or video games. And I think now that started bringing forth more people to listening to us because we're bringing a little bit of everything with music, movies, video games, history, but also a little bit of a fun argument. You know, why pick our list or pick his list or pick mine, you know. So it's been a lot of fun. No, I really like the format of the show and how you guys came up with it. I think it's really good and interesting. and It's a fun listen. And like I said, when I first reached out to you guys, I I listened to the I was going to listen to the '80s one, but I ended up getting sucked into the Cars episode because I'm a big Cars fan as well. Okay, and I ended up just because of that episode buying all of the remasters, all the reissues mm-hmm. of the Cars albums. And they, by the way, I think you and I talked a little bit about it on even Twitter. Went back and forth. They yeah. uh, they sound great. Those remasters, they did a really good job on those. But that's the what I'm telling you, folks. That's the impact of that show. Is it's going to be where it's it's like when an artist dies. Like all of a sudden you're into everything they do again and you want to start yes. listening to stuff. That seems to be the impact for me for sure. And it's, and you're not the only person. Uh, some people have gone back to watch some old movies that I have mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they're like, wow, I didn't even think that song was in there. And now I, I had to watch the movie. Uh, I've gotten a lot of thank yous for that. You know, bringing back some old movies. You know, one of the songs uh, I believe was magic from the cars. There was a okay. scene in the movie Blind Date with Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger that they used the same house for the wedding scene in the Cars music video for that mm-hmm. one. So that was my little nitbit fact with that. Nice. So it's kind of funny, you know what I mean? No, that's great. And it's funny listening to you talk about the relationship you have with your co-host too. Man, I can't imagine what that's like. Matt and I, hundreds of miles <laughs> away from each other. <laughs> Thousands. And not even really big fans of each other. Mm-mm. it's really we just kind of fell into this you know i feel bad for him i keep trying to walk away but then he's like don't leave me and i was like fine yeah, it's, it's really it's love that's all it is you're entirely right it is well, well you know and, and listen to your show you guys have a great thing going too you know well i think you guys do a good job so that's me oh well, I, I i appreciate that thank you so much thank you. the you're uh welcome. So we initially thought about just just ambushing you with our playlist wars '80s thing right from the mm-hmm. go from this, not even telling, and it's setting you up with this Nick Cage thing. 
and just and just totally bypassing that. But in the end, you know what it is? You you convinced me mm-hmm. that I haven't really given Nick Cage a real try in a while. And we recently did Pig on our show a few weeks ago, which for me, one of the best films of this year so far. And I took this as an opportunity to dive in and watch some old Cage films as well. Mm-hmm. But the focus, folks, of this special episode of the First Run Focus, which is our on-again, off-again special run where we deviate from the format a bit and we don't talk about stuff that's currently in the theaters. We maybe review some older stuff, talk about shows, whatever the case may be. But this episode is a Nick Cage of Palooza. And we're going to be talking about National Treasure and then National Treasure 2. And then Gomez is going to basically tell us what his favorite plot ideas are for National Treasure 3, I'm assuming, maybe. I don't know. I just like to put that on people right away. I don't mind it because I do have an idea. <laughs> if they would hire me to do – if Disney decided to hire me for the idea to continue that's, on for National true. Treasure 2. <laughs> we don't want to give out this gold just publicly. That's a fair right. point. Maybe we'll that's sit on true. that if you got a million-dollar idea. But uh, <laughs> let's start everything off and hear a little bit from – the initial national treasure. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hi. Abigail Chase. Paul Brown. Nice to meet you. Bill. Nice to meet you, Bill. How may I help you? Well, your accent. Pennsylvania Dutch? Saxony German. Oh. <laughs> You're not American? Oh, I am an American. I just wasn't born here. Please don't touch that. Sorry, a neat collection. George Washington's campaign buttons. You're missing the uh, 1789 inaugural, though. I found one once. That's very fortunate for you. Now, you told my assistant that this was an urgent matter? Ah, yes, ma'am. Well, I'm going to get straight to the point. Someone's going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Damn. All right, so Gomez, this was your suggestion. So we'd reached out to see if we could get you on the show, probably purely in a mercenary fashion by myself, because I'm desperate to do a David Bowie show with you guys at some point if you get around to the Thin White Duke. But I will definitely mention that to Brian. I appreciate that. So, But your idea was you wanted to discuss Nick Cage and National Treasure. So what prompted you? What was the impetus behind that? What is what is going on? Well, you know, I thought National Treasure around 2000, when it came out in 2004, it didn't get like that huge exposure. Like I thought it was a great flick, first of all. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're going to find this huge, huge treasure that has been gone for thousands of years of history, gold, all this cool stuff. And it's being passed on from family member to family member, from his grandfather to his father, now to Ben. And I thought that was something cool. That's always something I, as a young kid before this movie ever came, I always wanted to find that treasure it started off with the goonies for for you know there you go you know that was one thing you always wanted to find that treasure Mm -hmm. and as i got older you know i was like all right i guess my goonie phase is over you know well goonies never say die no goonies never say die i'm still waiting for goonies 2 to come (laughs) out come on spielberg we need it but something about nick cage just the way he acts in this movie he's just Mm -hmm. this when you're when you're watching the movie you see some of his facial expressions like in that scene we're watching as he introduces himself as paul brown they're sitting down and it's like they're still in the declaration of independence just his cool demeanor how he says it yeah and that's something about him as an actor i truly always liked in other movies too which we'll get into that in a little bit yeah but something about nick cage and national treasure was such a great flick where i think it didn't get the notoriety i think it deserved um from you know from film critics so 
did you rewatch it then in anticipation of this discussion? Because that's yes, I did. I, I, yeah, I always I always like to rewatch it again just to get a little refresher because it's been a couple months since I watched it. Come on. Uh, it's one of those movies I love watching. If once I'm done watching one, I'm watching two. I love that that it's been a couple of months. Me, I haven't seen it since it came out in 2004. I, so I love that it's been a couple, just a couple of months for you. I think that yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Last time I think it was back uh, April, around April. So I get, a few months. Well, my question was going to be, does it hold up for you? But I guess the answer clearly for you is yes. Yeah, I, I, I just love the movie and just the concept of finding. Think about it, hundreds of thousands of years of treasure and right, a boatload of money. That works. That, no, I can see where somebody gets excited about that. Yeah, I would get excited. Someone tells me I'm going to get a boatload of money if I found treasure. Damn right, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so for you, it is just a rollicking adventure that yeah. is reminiscent of some of the films of your youth, kind of brings back that sensation for you. And then just the sheer magnetism of the, the deliveries of Nick Cage just ele- elevates it to something to you that you something you have to kind of watch on a repeat. Because... I got to be honest with you, this is not something that would have occurred to me to watch ever again. I remember mm. not being a very big fan of it the first time it came out. Okay. And um, I'll sit on what I feel about my rewatch. But what about you, Matt? I've talked a lot. Was this been a a happy revisit for you? Uh, Well, I wouldn't say it was a revisit, happy or otherwise, because I had never seen this movie before. Um, And that was, it just never really appealed to me when it first came out. I mean, um, Nick Cage was in the kind of, at the time, was kind of in his descent into madness kind of thing. So, like, Mm -hmm. he he wasn't pulling his Oscar. Let's let's run around a little bit. So, 2002, you have possibly his crowning achievement in adaptation. Is that fair? Uh, leaving Las Vegas, I think, still is up there. That's right. For I'll give you that. That's 95. Yeah. So 2002 adaptation, Life of David Gale, Match Stekman, National Treasure, Lord of War, Weatherman, World Trade Center, The Wicker Man. The Wicker <laughs> Man. Not the bees. <laughs> Ghost Rider. Yeah, you're right. This is it. This is the, the roller coaster Rider. has crested. And right. we are now, yeah, it looks like we're about to drop. Right. I mean, we're we're not to the left behind uh, kind of stuff that he started doing later, but um, yeah, this 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 film never really appealed to me that much. So I, this was the first time I had seen it, um, okay. and it was yeah. it was ridiculous. And some things I didn't, um, I wasn't on board with. Like it had me like, I mean, some of it was just you know had me rolling my eyes at it. Like his whole like he just like stops and pontificates for a while. He's like, huh, Coca Cola. Coca-Cola's in Atlanta, Atlantis. And he just kind of like puts all these weird things together, like for like, and I would, that was just like, oh my God, this is so cheeseball while I'm watching this. But I, but at some point in this film, like it switched over and I stopped caring. Like I started having fun with it. Like once they really got to the actual kind of uh, Indiana Jones kind of stakes, like getting to the treasure part of it, Mm -hmm. that was a lot of fun. But the kind of, the kind of finding the treasure part, like parts of it was just like, okay, like Nick Cage, you're not selling it to me. And you're like some kind of cipher genius kind of thing. But you know, I was, I was along for the ride and it wasn't, it wasn't half bad of a ride for sure. Is it, it's, it's remind, or is it reminiscent of like the black dynamite anaconda malt liquor when he figures out what 
Yeah. The liquor does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I don't what know. Is little Richard. <laughs> <laughs> if he's, I don't know if this is like playing into that cliche or if the cliche developed from National Treasure, because I can only think of them like many other times in other pop culture where they're like doing a riff on this. And yeah. like, it's, it's, it was just, it really stood out to me. So, I mean, I think the first part of it was was um wasn't super on board with but then by the time they started looking for the actual treasure or like we're kind of going through the traps and all that kind of stuff i was kind of into it so Gomez, let me ask you a question do you think it's the one concern i always had and why i would instantly dismiss it when it first came out was it felt like it's going to be a disney-eyed version of indiana jones we're going to get to get this milk toast kind of bland version of indie um, but I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Was I wrong about that? Because even I'm thinking now I might have been. No, you know, what? I never thought of it because Indiana Jones was its own in the especially in the 80s. Indiana Jones hit, did his own thing. You know what I mean? Where I think Indiana Jones was I don't think he he went to college. You know, you're talking the 40s. He went right. to college. He He was a professor. He did his own little thing. He was this adventurer guy. You know, he had all these little anywhere he went. He knew people. So where I look at Nick's Cage, uh, Ben's character a little bit, it, it's not like Indiana Jones because, A, he looks like he had a somewhat of a job, a working man's job, because they said where he found Riley is we found you in a cubicle. We could stick you back in there if you like. And it seems like they had regular jobs before don't, this guy, don't, Ian Howe, came out of nowhere. Don't get me started on Riley. Oh, <laughs> In fact, uh, any major criticism for the film and maybe the series is just in part as Riley Poole, but we can get into yeah. that. Sorry, continue. No, no, it's all right. No, and you know, and you look at it, uh, they hook up with this guy, Ian Howe, after with two years, as they said in the storyline. He says, and two years ago, this could never have been possible. Uh, they're in the middle of a frozen tundra <laughs> somewhere. Right. Like, we don't even know where the heck they were. They were in the middle of frozen something looking for the Charlotte. And he says, he goes, if if it wasn't for you believing in me in two years ago, this would not be possible. So it just showed that he didn't have the funds to even do this. Right. Where I think India, where Indiana Jones had people everywhere he went to get him something or somewhere. So I think that's the difference between uh, Indiana Jones and Nick and, you know, and Ben Franklin or whatever his name was Gates, Ben Gates, Franklin. Ugh. Well, Benjamin Franklin Gates. You're not wrong. You're not yeah. off. Oh no, no, he, he, it was his middle name, but, um, it was just one of those facts that I, I just thought it was a more updated version of an Indiana Jones type. Yeah. And it was more our time, not 1940, 1930s and all that era where Indiana Jones was really like 40s and 50s era. So it, it but it, I think it pays a little tribute to him mm-hmm. just because oh, sure. of the hunt. You know what I mean? Of the hunt of the treasure, just like in uh, the temple of um, the temple of doom. The Last Crusade, uh, you know, and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, the, his last one, the Crystal Skull, skull. yeah, yeah, the, the, the aliens, wasn't, yeah, aliens. Let's not even go there. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic. But I just found it to be more of an updated version, you know, a little bit more of a hipster. Nick, what Nick Cage does best, you know, oh, yeah. his, as Matt said it, his well, let me put it this way: if I did it this way. What what is this and how did he figure it out? It's a little amazing, kind of cool. Like he's sitting there and thinking, but who really does that? Not not a lot of people, I don't think. 
you know, that that made it kind of like a little bit, eh, I get it. I get where Matt's coming from. No, you're, no, you're entirely right. Listen, the, the, the films, they're not, here's what you got to remember. And I don't mean this in a dismissive way, though it's going to come off that way, especially if you listen to my tone right now, which is just really reprehensible. But it's that this is a well-paced and solid Disney family thriller. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And if you tackle it through that prism, you will have a lot of fun with this movie. Is it ridiculous? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's it's still a lot of fun. And then you have some solid casting in both of these films with their villains. First off, you can't go wrong with Sean Bean. All right? I mean, rock solid in everything he's in. Yes, he has. The plot, are, is it preposterous? Sure. Yeah. But if you file them under this children's adventure and that classic Disney style that even I grew up with, then I'm able to soften my rating on it. And when I first watched it, and I kind of, I just like, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. It's rudimentary. I've seen this a thousand times. It doesn't give me <laughs> anything. It's, um, you know, it's just, it's not worth your time. But if you watch it that way, then I think it works. Right. And it's fun. You know, and, 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 and I enjoyed my revisit on this. And especially when I'm in this Nick Cage mode, you yeah. know, then you can really appreciate the man's talents and what he's able to bring to something, even that you could consider slight. That I right. think that he still is commanding on the screen. I mean, when you're dating back Nick Cage from his earlier movies like Raising Arizona. Right. And, to, and then you compare it to some of his bigger ones. Like one of my favorite ones to this day, besides National Treasure 1 and 2, would always be gone in 60 seconds yep. with him. And his character. It, and I felt like he brought that character into National Treasure a little bit with his gestures. And one of them, when they were... Stealing the Declaration of Independence is his hand gesture as Riley pulls like, hello, and he does that little finger point to the camera, you know, like right. his little thing, you know what I mean? Right. It's like his little thing. It's like, I see you. <laughs> so it's just one of those things, you know, something about Nick Cage. I, I know he's gotten some right to DVD, Netflix, you know, they even hit the big screen movies uh, yeah. dating back after National Treasure 2, probably. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, I still think he's a good, talented actor in that case. You know what I mean? He's he's, he's fallen off a little bit. I get it. And just like any actor, it, it happens. But, you know, I look at it. He's still got some of the best movies out there that I, I still watch over and over again. For example, Pig? No, I have not. I think if if, if, you ever have any cho if you have any any doubts in your mind of him slipping at all, these would put them out of your mind. I think once the IRS came to call in, in what was that, 2009? I yeah. think it was time to just start, you know, he had he had to make some projects. He had to get some cash in the, in the He bank. had to get some cash going from there. Man, we did, what was it? Uh, Prisoners of the Ghost Land, which was just an interesting, that's coming out now as part of our Sundance discussion. Okay. That was like a cross between yeah. interesting and crazy Nick Cage. Mm -hmm. I don't know, what are you thinking, Matt? I've been down with what Chris, or Nick Cage has been doing for a while. I mean, um... I thought his kind of little foray into these pulpy horror films was a lot of fun. I thought Mandy was was unhinged in all the best ways. I enjoyed The Color Out of Space. I liked, you know, some of his stuff from uh, Sundance that we watched. Um, so I he's kind of back up on that upswing for me. But I think uh, we've talked about kind of running through some of the Nick Cage's films that we haven't seen that are kind of lower end. That I, I really kind of want to see that. Yeah, um, we can do it. I, yeah, I mean, I think, didn't you, 
Did you end up watching that like killer robots, like killer Chuck E. Cheese thing that he did? Yes, I did. Chuck E. Cheese. No, which one was this one? Willie's Wonderland or something like that. Okay, I've heard of it, but I didn't get a chance to see it. Yeah, it's um, yeah, Willie's Wonderland. That's exactly it. Uh, it's currently okay. available on Hulu. And uh, all right, gotta check it out. Good thing for Hulu. <laughs> I mean, it, what's funny is I don't know if he has a line of dialogue in that film. He's oh, actually. Really? It's very interesting and weird. He, I just I don't, I don't know. It's part of like do I want to spoil it at all? Probably not. I just can't. Let's put it this way. I would not set aside time away from your family and friends or any real important <laughs> commitment to watch it. Okay. All right. But if you there had you some go. time to kill, you know, like you're waiting for something, who knows? Then, like a root then canal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a root canal, maybe. That would maybe. Work. Yeah. Like me, you're, 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 you just had a couple of wisdom teeth pulled and you get, you can't know where you can go. That's the, uh, that's the way to go. That's folks. the way to go. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh man! I mean, I still want to see jujitsu that he did too. With um, uh, was that Eco Eco Yas in that? No, Tony Ja. I want to see that as well. That came out last year. I think I actually, yeah. Either way, we're here to talk about National Treasure. Stop (laughs) distracting me, Matt. Sorry. sorry. So Gomez, huge fan. I have softened, and I and and I enjoy it within that Disney kid thriller realm. Mm -hmm. Like the same reason, like I say, the Lone Ranger movie is horrible. But oh, that conclusion, that final act, is vintage Disney kind of thrills and adventure. It's just the rest right. of the film is garbage. Um, but for you, Matt, you, were you happy? You enjoyed the the uh, the uh, National Treasure? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of um, I just kind of took it on its own merits and just took the ride. Um, Fair enough. I don't know if it's gonna be into my like regular rotation, but I I. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I mean, there were parts that I did like about it. And the parts that I thought were ridiculous were partly Nick Cage and partly just the script and, you know, everything else was kind of along for the ride. It was interesting to see Diane Kruger in her weird, no accent, German accent. Well, um, yeah, it was slightly there once in a while. Yeah. yeah you, ca- you caught it. You caught it a little bit here and there. Yes. Yeah. And I forgot um, that was her. I re- I know. I totally forgot that was Diane Kruger. I was surprised. I, I hadn't, uh, thought about Diane Kruger in a while but it was nice to it was nice to see her show up that's for sure mm, fair enough and I just want to touch briefly maybe I'm wrong about this but Justin Bartha's Riley Poole which is Nick Cage's sidekick <laughs> in this film particularly in the second one too we can get into it a little bit there when we transition yeah. over I just annoyed the living hell out of me he was almost unbearable it was he exist. his character existed just to deliver snarky little jokes that was it that, that was Man. entire I don't know. Yeah, I mean, his character was like his, he is that. Um, he's that, the comic effect. Yeah, he is the comic effect. He's that hacker for Nick Cage. Yep. Again, he said he found him in a little cubicle office. So, what does that tell you where his job was? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, for him to leave that job and to go on this adventure of finding this treasure, you know what I mean? That just just tells you what his character is like. And he had some funny one-liners, you know, when the, they were in the uh, Library of Congress as he's trying to tell uh, Nick Cage's character, like, look, this everyone's telling you, no, this cannot be done. And in vintage Nick, Nick Cage is like, it's the preservation room. And just his 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 head shake, like, please, enjoy. And, and the, the, of course, the you know, the one line that he says, 
oh, is it for jams and jellies? I'm like, I would have thought that too, probably <laughs> for that stupid, you know, one liner laugh for everybody. You know what I mean? But his character was a little annoying because, you know, he's he's trying to be smarter than everyone mm-hmm. just because he's a hacker. Yeah. You know, just be you. I mean, I thought he was OK in some parts. There's some parts that, yeah, he can be a little annoying. And there's some parts he actually played the character a, little, a lot better than he expected. Uh, there's a few scenes that I thought he did a better job. Um, um, I'll take your word for that. I have to, I'm not 100% on that at all. I think that he just, <laughs> if, if I out of everything that happened, that was probably the weakest point in any of these films was him, where he felt the most kind of shoehorned in. Like, all right, we've got a big adventure, this scary moment. We need to have a joke. And Riley. Yep, that's you know, that, that's kind of how it felt to me the whole time. It but that's fine. <laughs> hey, that's just my opinion. We know, especially given your show, people have different opinions. So different views, go. exactly. I've learned that <laughs> in six months of my show. I've learned that a lot. There you go. So I, I, would, I wonder, just as a quick aside, do you get a lot of email like that? I imagine you guys must get a lot of, because music is much more personal to people than it movies is. are. It's not really emails, man. It's Blotto right on Twitter, so everyone right, Twitter, reads yeah, yeah. it. So it's on Twitter, it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram. So it's legitly no one's emailing us. Uh, it's straight right on Twitter. You re- everyone reads it. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm gonna be honest with you, with a lot of people, like I call them the podcast family that we just keep on helping at each other. Mm-hmm. They'll jump on and say, "Yo, you're totally wrong going this way." Or <laughs> that's what I love about it. You know what I mean? Like everyone has their opinions. You know, uh, I have a couple of people that Absolutely. follow me now. And have like a hashtag Team Gomez thing going, and I'm like, awesome. guys, you gotta have a hashtag Team Colburn, not just Team Gomez, because <laughs> I have two or three people that just directly vote for me, <laughs> just in general. Nice. Like, did he even listen to the whole show? Oh, Gomez wins. That's the end of that. <laughs> that's got it. That's too bad. I mean, it's yeah. My mom runs a similar one for me in my show, but that's about <laughs> the extent of it. So I understand that. Good for you, but. I but, appreciate hey, you want to spread the love a bit, yeah. I, I always do, just because I feel if, you know, this, this is one thing what I like about jumping, going on, not jumping, but going on guessing on other shows, talking about other things too besides just music, like movies, mm-hmm. you know, like this. This is something I love to do. And Brian loves the fact that I bring a movie video game element to our show. And I think sure. that's brings out a lot more of why I say it, why I pick it, why I love it, how is it affecting my life too. And that's something like the movies. Like I feel, I always wanted to hunt for that big treasure. Since Goonies and National Treasure, I really wanted to find the, the the money and kind of retire and just don't do anything. You know, be with my wife and kids and let them retire. Well, good luck to you. I'm, yeah, I'm, thanks. I'm, I'm going to need it. <laughs> so I'm still I'm still trying to find Jimmy Hoffa for Christ's sakes. <laughs> I, that you may want to just let that one go. Yeah, I know. All right. So, any long time listeners of the show, you will know. Or short term, we usually then give grades. At the end of the at the end of each segment. So, I, I, anything else you want to say though, before um, we grade the national national treasure, uh, Alex? Do you have a particular anything you want to add? Fair enough. No, just no, no. You know, we we said it <laughs> between all three of us. <laughs> we we had all our points. Matt, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Let's talk about national treasure too. Well, hold on. Let me give you a grade. Let's right, stop getting ahead of things. I'm not. <laughs> Hey, just relax, amigo. All right, so I'm gonna give <laughs> national. I give National Treasure, given my curve of the Disney, uh, a uh, Disneyfication I mentioned earlier. I'm gonna give National Treasure a B. Okay. What about Bees you, Alex? Good. What Gomez? What do you got? 
Uh, you can call me Alex or Gomez. Either one's fine. I'm cool with it. Uh, I actually gave it an A just because I, nice. I truly did love this movie. So for me, it was an A. Matthew? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to give it a C plus. I think I'm going to give it a C plus. I mean, the whole adult Goonie thing really appealed to me. Like, again, like I said, towards the end there. I don't know, man. I, I just, I don't, I don't see myself jumping on the national treasure trainer. <laughs> right. I get you. I that's mean, fine. hey, and that's fine. These are, again, these are all our opinions. That's why I can't get mad at you guys. I get it. <laughs> you know, hey. that's good. We don't want to blow up this relationship just as it's blossoming. I know. Right? <laughs> so, well, what's next, you ask? Well, it's national treasure too. The book of I say what a wonderful addition Thomas Gates is to our civilian heroes exhibit. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nichols. I only wish my grandfather had been here to, to see this one. Excuse day. me. I have a question I'd like to ask. What do you think ever happened to that Booth diary page that was pulled out of the fire? We may never know. Perhaps. Perhaps not. You see, I have one of those great-great-granddaddies just like you. Way up in my family tree. Name is Silas Wilkinson. He used to tell a story about the night Lincoln was shot. As Silas tells it, Booth didn't seek out Thomas Gates regarding the treasure map that night. It was Thomas who called the meeting. A meeting to plan the assassination of Lincoln. How absurd. That's a lie. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you one of the missing pages from the infamous diary of John Wilkes Booth with the name Thomas Gates. Written on a list, along with all the other killers. Well, that sounds bad. So, as Gomez had stated, too, as we bled right into it, it is National Treasure, Book of Secrets, the second film in the series. Our entire cast returns. Cage, Bartha, Kruger, noted wacko leftist John Voight, Helen Mirren, and then, of course, uh, Ed, uh, Helen Mirren is new, excuse me. She is new to the cast this time, right? She plays Nicolas Cage's mom. And then Harvey Keitel, of course, comes back as he, we didn't talk about Harvey Keitel at all. But still, I think the big thing again, another great villain, Ed Harris, who uh, I always enjoy when he shows up in things. But sometimes sequels don't always work out as well as the originals. So Gomez, are you comfortable? Why don't you tell us what is Book of Secrets all about? What's our plot this time? What's our treasure this time? We may have lost Matt. Matt, are you there? Oh, okay. Wow, you're incredibly still. That is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Book of Secrets is the sequel to uh, National Treasure. So, you know, they're famous. You know, Riley's famous. He writes a book of the the Templar treasure. He writes this book that everyone thought, everyone's like, oh, what, didn't Ben Gates find it? He's like, yeah, but I kind of helped. You know, so, right. he, you know, he, he writes a bunch of stories of a conspiracy theory. Ben and Abigail are going through, I guess, a separation in this movie a little bit. John Voight's back, and then big thing with Ed Harris being the bad guy in this movie, uh, which is awesome because Ed Harris is a, a truly awesome actor, too. And any movie that he's been in, when he plays actually the bad guy, he does it very well. So what's happening is they're trying to find what was called Sibula, the city of gold. So somewhere in the United States, there's a... I guess a old, old, I can't remember if it was a um, language that only his mother knew. They, again, it's just like in the first movie, they have a bunch of uh, clues. 
to find it. I remember one part in the movie, they, uh, you know, right where the scene you were just watching the, uh, the booth diaries, there's something behind it. Mm-hmm. There was like a, I believe there was a cipher or something saying you have to go here or they see a number or something. And they had to go to the white house and Abigail chase kind of gets her and Nick cage in there and to go into the, the actual presidential oval office because the board, what they're looking for to get it is in the resolute desk Yep, that was made in for the president of the United States. And I believe it was the queen of England. They get in, they secret code under the desk, pulling the thing, you know, Somehow Nick Cage figures out the number, you know, I can't remember what the year was exactly, but they go, they find this, you know, Ed Harris is following them all over England, Paris, uh, United States, back to the U.S. Um, And then they go find the City of Gold altogether. And he just wanted a piece of the pie, I felt like, Ed Harris's Mm -hmm. character. He just wanted his name. Um, And spoiler alert, towards the end of the movie, Benjamin Gates gives him the credit that his family deserved to in finding the city of gold. Nice. Um, That's part of it too, right? Cause you hear in that clip that they, that Harris's character makes it look like that cages, that Gates's ancestor was part of the conspiracy to assassinate Lincoln. So they're also trying to clean the, clear the family's name as well. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about finding treasure, clearing a, a family name of a historian and, Finding uh, what's kind of funny, the Book of Secrets, where they have this thing hidden, like, and Riley pulls book, he talks about it a little bit, and only presidents know about it when you get, once you're sworn in, you know where to go, you know where to find it, you know, the the whole alien thing at Roswell, it's all written in there, who shot John F. Kennedy is in there, so those little nitbits are in there for third movie, but it never would happen. Never happened. They never made it if they're still thinking about it. Oh, they are. They are in early discussions to do a part three right now, actually. Okay. So I remember they were in early discussions about four years ago, too. That's true. So the early, later now discussions. No, <laughs> there are rumblings I had read recently when I was doing my research for the show that there are talks of them actually getting together and making a third film right now. So National Treasure... Book of Secrets, I w- I'm watching this thing, and I'm thinking, Matt, I'm assuming this is the first time watch again for you as well. I'm sure you never would have jumped right into a sequel without seeing this. Yeah, you know, right? I really wanted to Especially catch the series national... with this chronology. It's so That's right. I mean, tight. I didn't want to get confused, so yes. I didn't want to jump right into the National Treasure chain. So I watched I watch this thing, and I'm, I'm all I'm thinking to myself is, I hope you like Vanilla Sheet Cake. Because I felt like that's <laughs> this is just a kind of a larger bloated kind of version of the original film with for me a lesser return i didn't enjoy this one as much as i did the first one mm-hmm. um well, how was your experience gomez what was your experience with the book of secrets i enjoyed it but like you said not as much as the first one when you're doing a sequel you got to make sure you try to do your best to top the first movie I guess they were trying to make it seem like, hey, you know, everyone's having problems now in the film. And Ben Fra- uh, Ben Gates, Ben Franklin Gates is trying to figure out his love life with Abigail Chase there. You know, it seems like they're kind of married, but they're not. They're just together living in this awesome, expensive house and trying to figure out who gets what furniture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so things like that. It, it was hard to top the first one, though. There were some parts that were really interesting that were really cool. And there's some parts I'm like, yeah, it kind of blew it out of proportion. 
Yeah, I mean, that's part of the, that can be part of the trap, right? When you run into a sequel, is that you you got to make everything bigger. It's, everything's got to be bigger and better, and it's not, not maybe not necessarily always the case. I mean, it was more financially successful. It yeah, did it was. really well, and uh, it just didn't for me deliver as much of an enter- as an entertaining story. Matt, mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts on the Book of Secrets? Was this the I mean, Empire Strikes Back of National Treasure movies? No, I wouldn't say that at all. This is, <laughs> I would say, if we're going that comparison, this is, um, I don't know, maybe Revenge of the Sith to National Treasure's Revenge of the Sith first half of the film. I don't know. They're they to me, they're basically they're basically the same movie, and like the parts that I didn't like about the first one, like the kind of kind of beginning preamble while they're making all of these kind of leaps and logic and they're kind of running away from the bad guy and all this kind of stuff. It didn't really seem all that different to me. And, and it, it, it didn't compel me as just like the first one didn't compel me. But again, once they got to these ruins where they were, which was just weird for where the city of gold supposed to be. But once they get to that, I again, I got kind of into it while they're kind of navigating these through these booby traps and you know all this kind of stuff. And maybe it took longer to get there, and the payoff wasn't as good. But I didn't think it was head and shoulders worse than the than the first one. But at the same time, I didn't love the first one as much as my two esteemed colleagues here did. <laughs> so Matt, you're looking for more of that Uncharted video game thing where you have more puzzles. More interactions with stuff like that than the uh, the chase stuff just doesn't seem to really be doing it for you. I guess. I mean, let's just level set here, guys. This film, neither one of these films really have much in the way of a plot, right? There's MacGuffin. We're going to try and get the MacGuffin. We solved the MacGuffin, and now we got the, the money. That's basically what this thing is, right? So there's very little buildup. There's not a lot of background. The characterizations are not super strong, in my opinion. So, like, I, I don't know. And that's... That's okay. I mean, it's really just meant to be like a fun action film, an adventure film. But I guess the parts that received more interesting were the parts that it seemed like the filmmakers have put a lot of thought into how would these things work. And at least they put in some effort into that. Whereas in, instead of Ben Franklin's 3D glasses, you know, those kinds of things, those are those actually pretty cool. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, I guess they look cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, so I guess it's that part of it. I mean, anybody can write a chase scene. We've seen heist movies however many times. And if you think of it in the in the context of a heist movie, the things that make heist movies fun are not really in this. It's really kind of like we've got the thing and now we just got to stay ahead of everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, while we've got the thing. You know, that's basically what this all is for the majority of the running time. And then I think the, it gets a lot more interesting when they get to the part of, okay, well, now we've got this teetering top, spoiler alert, on... A 15 year old film guys but you've got you're on this this teetering platform kind of thing that was more exciting than necessarily you know i've got the the whatever and i've got to stay away from ed harris's bad guys i can't disagree with you at all gomez <laughs> do you have any retort do you have any rebuttal to matt's uh assertions uh, i mean the, I thought the chase team was kind of funny come on you're you're driving a mercedes and in a chase scene versus a truck full of beer. You, right. Do you ever get to see that anytime? Right. <laughs> uh, you know, and beer's flying everywhere. You, you can't go wrong with that. Now, I mean, again, there's some parts of the movie, like I agree with Matt on that, Chris. Like, yeah, there are some couple parts of the movie where you're like, what the heck were they thinking? 
yeah. yeah. Beer truck chasing a Mercedes Benz and it catches up to it a little bit. Yeah. That ain't happening in real life. And I'm a car guy. I love cars too. That ain't happening. <laughs> and again, there's some parts that you're going to Mount Rushmore to find this treasure. And, you know, you're, you're, you're using bottles of water to find the secret to wet down the stone. To find I know, this, that, uh, that was hilarious. Like, and like, seriously, they pour water on it. The stone gets darker. Every stone in the world gets darker. If you put water on it. <laughs> Best part of that whole scene is when he sticks his hand in there. He's like, Oh my God. And like something yeah, happened. Everyone's funny. going crazy. That was good. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some awesome parts of the movie. You know what I mean? Like I said, when you're going to a sequel, it is so difficult when you, when you think the first one, like you said, money-wise, part two did really well. Mm-hmm. But to capture what the first one did, it's difficult. Like, you have to think bigger. You got to think like Terminator 2. Almost. Right. You got to think of Terminator 2. Bad Boys 2. <laughs> Bad the, Boys 1 to 2. But the problem you have with that sometimes is then you come up with these bloated messes. You have these films that are just trying to just expand and do more, like you say, yeah. and they lose a little bit of the magic and what made them interesting to begin with in the first place. And I right. think that's a bit of the problem that happened with this film. A couple other things too, like we didn't talk a little bit about it in the first one. I'll mention it now though, is Harvey Keitel. I did enjoy him as the not so hostile FBI agent. I'm not going to, a couple times too, I thought his name was Sandusky, which I thought yes, was sir. very unfortunate, but it actually isn't. I think it's, it's, it's just Sandusky. So Sandusky. Yeah. Sandusky, Sandusky. Yeah, but I, I like, I mean, I always like when Kaitel pops up. And so he's still a lot of fun in both of these. Ed Harris, for some reason, this really stood out to me. I don't know why. Has some poorly cut suits. A few times there's a scene yeah, too where, like, you know, his the, the cuffs of his suits come up over his wrist a little bit. Just a little bit, like, yeah. Just... In, in the beginning of the movie when he comes right into it. Yeah. You see that, you're like, what the hell? <laughs> I don't quite understand that. And uh, interesting little piece of trivia too, in case for the for the uh, unaware, that this was nominated for best film in the 2008 MTV Movie Awards. Do you have any idea what it lost to? No. Transformers. Oh wow! Jeez. <laughs> uh, Book of Seekers versus Transformers. That's a hard one to swallow. <laughs> I mean, you're talking probably the biggest blockbuster movie there, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was a massive franchise that I don't yeah. think I've... I think, what, Matt, we only like Bumblebee, right? You, out of every single Transformers film, I think Matt and I are the only ones that we even appreciate in any level. It's Bumblebee. Yeah. Yeah. It took a while for them to get to it. I think they had to jettison Michael Bay before I started liking these things. Caught my interest. Caught my interest in the first one. Yeah, grew up as a Transformer fan too. You know what I mean? Oh, Optimus uh, Prime. Hey, man, so did I. Don't even get me started on the GI Joe movies. Those crush me with how bad they are. <laughs> yeah, don't even get me started on that either. <laughs> so, uh, um, other thing too that I thought was weird when I so that like you said, Gomez, that part where he has to air quotes kidnap the president oh, to yes. get the information he needs, and now he's a fugitive on the run. Like the president could just not have said. From the beginning, oh no, we got stuck here, the two of us. Everything's fine. Like, why does? Because he, he does say that at the end of the movie. He so does. why doesn't he say that at the very beginning? Because then you lose that added element of suspense, right? Yeah, I think that's the whole thing. Now he's on the run, like he was in the first movie. He stole the Declaration of Independence. What else can you steal? That's high priority. Steal the president. But I just, I just would have said, I would, have, I would have been like, well, thanks, Bruce Greenwood. Why couldn't you just said that like forty-five minutes ago? We wouldn't have had this problem. 
yeah, you know, just give me the code number and I'll get the book and then I'll read uh, page 32, whatever page he asked him to read. Right. Oh, we never found out what that was either. No one knows what it is. That was the whole purpose Ooh. of the third film. Mm. Oh, well, maybe that's what we'll find out maybe someday-ish. Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on this too, Gomez. Would you be up for like a Disney Plus series, maybe with a younger cast, like the National Treasure, The Beginnings or something like that? Or That would be kind of cool to see that. To see how this going off a little topic, like they did yeah. Disney. I, I do have, again, I have two children. Uh, one, my, my daughter loves Disney Plus now, as she has discovered all these movies, especially some of the old movies. Yeah. So, like for me, you take like a Mighty Ducks film and you bring back a Gordon Bob Bay and you twist the story a little bit. You know, if they mm. did something like that with National Treasure, like they did with, uh, with, that, with that show the new Mighty Ducks. I kind of think that would be really interesting to see maybe if Ben Gates had kids with Abigail Chase. Right. And, That's an idea. And, and then maybe Riley Poole got married and you got them together. You no. know what I mean? And no. they had kids. Well, okay. So no. we'll get a new character. <laughs> okay. We'll get a new character. Kill that one off. <laughs> but something like that would be kind of cool to see if Disney did that. Something like that. Like a, 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 another genre of kids watching that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that as kind of one of those tween uh, uh, Disney shows. I think it would actually be a pretty would work pretty well as that kind of a, a show. Yeah, I, I would think it would be an instant hit. I think for the kids now, because mm-hmm. uh, you know I haven't shown my daughter yet the Goonies, but when she gets a little older, I, I am planning to show her that movie. Nice. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So she could see what movies were like in my time. You know, she actually got to see uh, a little bit uh, the Love Bug. Okay. You know, so she got an idea of what movies were like, and she got into the old school Space Jam. So, again, she Mm -hmm. gets to see what movies were 15, 20 years ago, not the new CGI computerized movies that are now, you know what I mean, which makes it even better now these days. But I still love the old school stuff, and sometimes I lean towards, like you said, 80s, 90s, early 2000 movies a lot because a lot of that old school stuff is great still. Absolutely. Matt, do we have any other parting thoughts on National Treasure 2? Are we ready? Excuse me. National Treasure Book of Secrets. Are we mm-hmm. prepared to levy our grades? Yeah, I think we're le- prepared to levy our grades. And, and I I just want to point out, I maybe feel like, I may come out being seem like I'm coming off a little harsh on these things. I mean, I, they're, they're a pretty fun little film franchise. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you haven't seen them, I had a, a pretty good time watching them. I would suggest that anybody, you know, check it out if, if it's, you know, you've got Disney Plus and the time to, to watch it. If you want to sit down and watch something with your family, that's not too, uh, that's not uh, too bad or anything like that. Very nice. Give me a grade, Matt. I'm going to give it a C just because I think it's not quite as good as National Treasure. And I have integrity, Chris. Well, I don't. I give it a C as well. Gomez, where are you coming down on the uh, net? I I gave it actually, I gave it a B minus. All right. There you go. You know, it's not like, you know, like you said, it's hard to compete to National Treasure, the first movie, um, where I gave that a good solid A. So (laughs) it it didn't rate too high on my, it rated not as high or as low as you guys, but it was, Mm -hmm. I gave it where I thought was pretty good B minus. Yeah, but you know, all things considered, that's a that's the biggest drop. That's the biggest drop of the show. So there you go. Yeah. That's true, right? A to B minus because I was B to C. Yeah, you're entirely right. Yeah, wow, yeah. good times. Yeah. All right, folks. <laughs> um, so if uh, I I 
forgot to mention this before. So if you've seen both National Treasure films, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Moving on. We are now going to close out the show. And we're going to share our five favorite Nick Cage movies, performances, however you want to shake it out. Uh, here is one that just did not make the cut for me. Charlie, I had such a dream. Peggy Sue, I have to talk to you. Charlie, what are you doing here? Let's go down to the basement. I want to know what's going on. Dolores told me about you and that scuzzball, Michael Fitzsimmons. When you dropped me off last night, I just didn't feel like going to bed. And, and I ran into Michael and went for a ride. <laughs> I had a miserable time tonight because of you. That's right, folks. That is Nick Cage along with Kathleen Turner in, don't forget, Francis Ford Coppola's Peggy Sue Got Married, the film that basically blew Cage up, what got him a lot of different jobs after that. This is what helped get him the uh, Raising Arizona. This is the role that got him, I believe, Moonstruck as well. So that is kind of when things blew up for Mr. Cage. Obviously, he had that one cameo in Fast Times, right? So, yep. Back when he was still Nick Coppola, right? Or Cop- Nick Coppola. Nick Coppola. So, back here we are. Day. All <laughs> right. So, let's go. Um, I think what do we usually do? We usually give our guests the ultimate number one. So, Gomez, you get to go last. I think I went first last time we did this, Matt. So, why don't you go first? What is the fifth best Nicolas Cage movie performance? insert whatever here for you okay so i kind of went back and forth on this like i didn't know how i wanted to approach this i didn't know mm. one if i wanted to put it like nick cage performances that i thought were actually decent to to good to great or if i just wanted to put like my favorite of his ridiculous performances that are just like really kind of lean into his kind of uh uh what sort of looking for his like cliche attitude that you think when you think Nick Cage, but I decided to go with the latter. So my number five is a, just a ridiculous action film from the mid nineties. It's uh, Stanley Goodspeed in the rock um, where I think you get like all <laughs> you get every piece of cage. You get kind of understated cage to screaming twitching cage and it's all within the span of like a few seconds and it's it's a lot of fun and you've got him playing off of the foil of sean connery at the same time which i think is just fantastic so uh, that's what i'm gonna go with uh stanley goodspeed in the rock very good very good pick and actually if you think about it that's the second film that him and ed harris were in oh yeah there yeah that's That's very true very true so just uh, harris yep a little nitbit there sorry i couldn't i had to throw that in there very good very good that's Trust me, that's what we do. Knock yourself out. All right. So my number five then is going to be Ridley Scott's uh, Matchstick Men, which is a film I recently caught up with. The Cage plays a gentleman named Roy Walker. He is part of a con man team with Sam Rockwell. And all of a sudden that uh, Cage's long lost daughter that he didn't even know he had comes into his life and turns his world upside down. 
It is a great little dramedy mystery type film. It's really good in an unheralded Ridley Scott film. Not a lot of people caught up with this when it came out. And it is, I think, quite good. So um, I don't want to get too much into it because there's some spoiler stuff here. And it's movie is best gone into as little information as possible. So, but I'm going to go with, as performance-wise, one of my favorites is Cage's Roy Waller. Did I say Walker? It's Waller in uh, Matchstick Men. Go ahead. Have you seen uh, Matchstick Men? I've seen it. Um, I didn't see the whole movie. There's some points I got a little bored on it, but I got to give it another shot because, uh, again, when you have kids running around, I don't get the chance to watch as much movies like I'd like to. I'm putting ear- AirPods on and trying to watch it on a iPhone. It's kind of not easy. Just as Ridley Scott intended. Yes. <laughs> what about so, you, Matt? Have you seen Matchstick Men? No. I have not. No. All right. I think it's on HBO Max, so if you, you can check it out right now. Gomez, what you got? Number five. So number five, like you guys, I kind of went, I chose his top, what I feel I love his top five movies, one of my favorites. And I'm going to go with the 1997 film, Face Off with John Travolta. Uh, Truly love that movie with him in it. He's got that awesome, awesome charisma like he does in any other movie, like it especially National Treasure 1. He's got that awesome charisma. He's got that attitude. And him and John Travolta, I thought, did a great job for an action flick together. Uh, unbelievable. And that's one of my favorite movies with uh, both of those guys. I haven't seen Face Off in forever. Me neither. I, you know, I I bought it off iTunes for like five bucks like six months ago because I wanted to revisit it, and I have yet to watch it. Mm-hmm. I feel like we got to get on it. Such a great film. It's a John Woo film too, actually. Yeah. So that's a big deal yeah. right there. <laughs> I guess should have to I should catch up with that again. I haven't watched yeah. it in a long, long time. All right. So my number four, I made a reference to it earlier in the show. Again, this is just unhinged cage running around, just filthy, bloody in tidy whitey, screaming about his ripped shirts, uh, against uh well fighting demonic uh biker gang. I'm of course talking as his role as Red Miller in uh the just whacked out horror movie Mandy. I, I've my affection for Mandy has has continued to grow in in, in the space that I put from seeing it the first time. Um, I think you can still catch it on Shutter for the twenty people, including myself, who actually subscribe to Shutter. It is a lot of fun. It is it, it is it'll be the last time like Insane Cage shows up, but I think it's the best of the Insane Cage performances that I've seen. Really, of any of them that I've seen. You're in my shirt. You're in my shirt. <laughs> Matt does that. love that clip. <laughs> that is a crazy film. I have not watched that since we did it for the show. I feel like I do need to revisit it, though. Yeah, you should catch up with it. It's a lot of fun. Jesus. I got to check out that one. <laughs> yeah, that's one. That one, don't watch when the kids are around. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that one definitely. <laughs> I, make sure they... I think my wife would throw me out of the house for watching that one, <laughs> but it's totally worth it. Well, if she wouldn't throw you out for that one, she definitely will if you watch this one. And that is Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans, the mm-hmm. Werner Herzog film where Cage, Police Lieutenant Terrence McDonough, he is just a man out of control, a coked up lieutenant who has well. He's in a whole lot of hot water, and he's got to – listen, another one thing I don't want to spoil because if you haven't seen it, this thing is just balls to the wall crazy from start to finish. It features Cage, I think, at his most 
uh, maybe now outside of Mandy, his most electric and is and insane, especially in a film that is very good. It is actually a very good film, but it is crazy. And um, one of my favorite anecdotes, I guess, is Cage had this vial of this fake cocaine. And it was, I guess, some kind of sugar or something like that. And he would go around snorting it all the time to get kind of ready for the character to get into that position for the performance. And Herzog was convinced he was actually snorting cocaine. And asked him about it. And Cage didn't want to break character and lose the momentum. So he snapped and he's like, God damn right, it's cocaine or something. It's it's a funny story, which you can find out on, on YouTube. So, But uh, yeah, so that's my number four. An insane film that will just haunt you and stick with you once you see it. Bad Lieutenant, Porn of Call, New Orleans. Hmm. Sounds like actually a fun movie to watch too. <laughs> just not with the kids. Yeah. yeah no, again, not with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's a good one, then. What do you got, Carlos? Uh, number four. So, so number four for me, uh, Matt already said it. It was his number five. Gotta go with The Rock. I truly love this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Sean Connery is being, you know, in jail for all these years. He has all these secrets. It's almost like a, a national treasure type of movie, but it isn't. But it's trying to, you're breaking into Alcatraz, for Christ's sakes. You got the guy who actually broke out of it. You know, several times they said, and you know, you got Sean Connery, um, Nicholas Cage, you know, Ed Harris again. It's a, it's a great, great action film. I thought so. That's my number four, uh, The Rock. Do you subscribe to the theory? I love this little fan theory that Connery's character is actually James Bond that was captured and locked away from trying. You know to what? Investigating, I- doing something on the grounds. You know what's kind of funny? I was thinking about that not too long ago because I, one of my favorite films growing up is James Bond, mm-hmm. and I do remember watching him in you know in a couple of the movies. And now that you're saying that, it kind of makes sense now a little bit that did he get caught in America and he worked for MI6? Yeah, they didn't say he was a double O or anything. The only knows that he worked for MI6, and. They just threw away and locked the key. No one knew what he was doing. So if you remember any of the Bond films, they said that if you ever get captured, we have no knowledge of you. Yep. As a double yeah, O. So there you go. And that could be the reason too. So that's kind of funny because he had some, you know, great secrets in that movie too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always like that little thing. They did they play that up a little bit, obviously, because it's it's Sean Connery. Yeah. Matt. Um, all right, so my number three then is um, I think his most recent role that we watched, um, really? which would be yeah, I think um, his turn as Rob the Truffle Hunter in Pig is his best performance I've seen in a while because honestly, for me, Nick, Nick Cage has become kind of like this caricature of of himself and his like worst tendencies. And as much as I enjoy watching a lot of those things, like him screaming about not the bees and ripping his shirt and all of this stuff that I... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, those... uh, This is kind of like a return to... It's a very understated performance. It's just something you're not really used to with Cage, that's something he hasn't done in a really long time. And I think he just kind of really embodies this, this weirdo who lives out in the woods and truffle and hunts truffles in the Oregon wilderness and has his pig stolen. Yeah. It's, I thought it was really a really good, good performance. And I I think I was hard pressed as I was looking at his 
his uh, filmography to think come up with something, you know, too many more that were better than that. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. It actually is just outside. And at one point it was my number five. I kept okay. going back and forth on it. It is such a fantastic performance. As you said, understated, moving. I remember we talked about it on the show. Well, I was actually almost moved to tears in one scene in that film, too. You, being the stoic alpha that you are, you were able to right. kind of get through it a little better than I was. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, no, I'm. that is a great pick. I'm telling you, Gomez, you got to get on that pig. Yeah, I, no, I, I wrote it down on my notebook here. Got to watch it. <laughs> I actually have it. It's a need to watch pig. I there have you it go. right there. Just go with it is all I can tell you. It's okay. not what you think it's going to be and just roll with it. All right. I definitely will. All right. So then my number three is probably going to be a lot higher on other people's lists, which I I can't knock. But I went with with high. I went with H.I. McDonough, Matt. Uh, Raising Arizona, the film that blew up Cage basically for the, the the wide audiences. He plays the bank robber. He falls in love with the woman who was taking his mugshot after his latest attempt goes horribly awry. They fall in love and then they decide they want a kid. They steal a kid and then things go even worse from there. One of the Coen brothers' best films. Absolutely hilarious from start to finish. I haven't watched it in too long, and I need to catch up with it again. His H.I. or High McDonough there from Raising Arizona is my number three. Uh, really, almost an all-time classic character, period. I mean, really, that's how strong he is in that film. That's a great film. I actually love that. I haven't watched that in a while either. But one of my favorite scenes is him stealing the freaking Huggies. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite scenes, him stealing the Huggies with a bullet hole right through the thin, throughout exactly. the diapers. It's it's a classic cage. Great. That's a great pick, actually. There you go. So actually with my number three, I like a lot of his later, his middle of nine, 90s movies. Uh, one of my favorites, 97, mm. Con Air. Again, vintage kind of cage action film. Love the way they – I love the whole script of this whole movie. You know, you got John Cusack, John um, – I almost said – John Malkovich. Thank you, Malkovich. I couldn't think of his last name. As Cyrus the Virus, you know, he played that character perfectly. You got Nick Cage. He's coming home from jail after he killed a guy after him, you know, kind of harassing him and harassing his wife. You know, hey, listen, you're a Green Beret. You don't mess with those guys. Like, even I know that. <laughs> I wouldn't even step up to any of those guys. Those guys got more mad respect and get more women than anybody I know. <laughs> but right. um, it's just a great, this is just a great flick uh, all around through. I thought they did this perfectly for him. Only found The only thing I found a little little oblivious is the ending of the of the movie of, of with Vegas in the background. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If anybody's seen this, you know, with the jailbird going down. Go right through Vegas, really? And his, I think his one-liner was "Viva Las Vegas." <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's like Terminator Two. I'll be back. Right. So it's one of those great films. So ninety-seven Con Air for me is my number three pick. I love Con Air just for how ridiculous Cage looks in it with his like skin-tight jeans, cowboy boots, long hair, still balding and thinning up front, and his <laughs> god-awful Cajun accent. It's just mm, chef's kiss. It's so good. It's fun. It is a beautiful exercise in, extrem- in extremities. Yeah. It really is, yeah. that film, from start to finish. It's insane yeah. from top to bottom. But um, yeah, and Cage is a blast. I actually think it's almost a training day situation for me. With that mm-hmm. film. And Gomez, for the uninitiated, my training day situation is a, a movie that I don't think is good, 
but is elevated by the performance of its lead. So like okay. Denzel is great in Training Day, <laughs> Training but Day, it's a yeah, movie yes. I don't like, but I love him in it. Right. And uh, it's the same thing for me with Con Air. I love Cage in that film. The rest of it, I just, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on. Okay, I got you. But that's good. So my number two then is a film I actually just caught up with uh, for this show because I never watched it because I just didn't want to deal with it. It sounded so horrible. But I pulled the trigger and I watched uh, Leaving Las Vegas, uh, the, the film that got Nicolas Cage his Oscar. And it is fantastic. It is sad, harrowing. It is just an incredible film to watch. It's very, you can tell they made it on the cheap. I think they shot it in eight millimeter or something like that. It's crazy. And uh, it's deeply moving and effective performance. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. And uh, also to Elizabeth Shue, who is fantastic. Both of them were nominated for Academy Awards for this film. But he is just at another level with that performance. And it is just something that will just sit with you. After you watch it, and you won't soon forget it, but it's it's no um, big family barn burner, that's for sure. It's not something you're going to be all excited that you watch. It's a one timer for me, absolutely. But still, that's my number two is uh, is of course his uh, Ben Sanderson in Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's my number two too. So I mean, um, you know, just him, the story of him playing a screenwriter who's lost everything because of his alcoholism, decides he's going to go to Vegas and drink himself to death, and hooks up with uh, Elizabeth Shue's uh, prostitute in Sarah. Um, yeah, it's it's a great bummer downer of a film, but uh, you know, I mean, that's okay, and it's it's fantastic. It really is fantastic. If you haven't seen it. You should check it out. Did I yeah. cut you off, Matt? I did. That's I? okay. We had the same number two, so it doesn't. It didn't hurt anything. I was about to say it's <laughs> like he had the same one, so that was the thing. There you go. That's okay. It's not a big deal. Gomez, what's your number two then? So na- number two for me is we just talked about it in the beginning of the show. National Treasure. Mm. As we did our synopsis on this movie, National Treasure will always have a special place for me mm. on my top five of Nicolas Cage movies. His whole, as Matt said, is his thinking of theory a little bit and. Wow, does Coke go here or does Coke go over there? What happens if Coke went over here? But I think if we did it over there, it would work really great. It's just his that and it's just his attitude and you know his the way he does things in the movie. I just that that's what I loved about Nicolas Cage in this movie. It's just him and you know, again, like you like you say, you guys say the plot wasn't as strong. Could have been a lot stronger. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, in the time of age, maybe if they rebooted it. Like if they ever do National Treasure three, maybe it'll be a lot stronger from the mistakes they did from one and two. So hopefully, if they do the third one, it, I think it might be a lot stronger. Well, as long as we don't have like a an Ocean's thirteen debacle when they're gonna fix yeah. everything they knew they did wrong with Ocean's twelve, and it is just not really nah, good yeah, at all. Yeah. <laughs> good times. So, yeah, no, that's, exactly. That's fun. It's you know what? It's a fun performance, and nobody drinks themselves to death. So I can't, nope. I can't fault that as a pick. <laughs> Matt, bring us home. All right. uh, start it off. What's number one? Well, my number one is, I'm really disappointed it's as low as it was on Chris's list. It's high uh, in Raising Arizona. I adore Raising Arizona. I really love the Coen brothers. Um, I'm a big fan of, you know, all of their films, at least giving them a shot. Not They've had very few misses in their careers. 
Um, but this is one of their absolute highlights right up there as far as their comedies with uh, The Big Lebowski for me. And uh, I think Cage is really the kind of it begins and ends with him as far as why it's so successful. So I, I really enjoy his turn as H.I. and his uh, bumbling, lovable thief um, from the trailer park. <laughs> there you go. So my number one, I probably gave it away earlier in the show when I talked about this film being the pinnacle of his career. And uh, that is uh, Adaptation, where he plays Charlie and his brother, Donald Kaufman. As he's struggling to adapt this book, uh, he thinks it's going to make a great movie. Then he realizes he doesn't know what to do and how to write it. And he goes off on this offshoot. And then reality kind of bends in where the novel and the book become the same thing. And it's a very, listen, it's it's a Charlie Kaufman you know, screenplay. So you know it's going to be weird. You're uh, John, you know, inside John Malkovich. So, or being John Malkovich, isn't that what it is? Why am I? Yeah, being John Malkovich. Yeah. Thank you. So, but it's a weird, bizarre little film that is. I don't know. It's fascinating to watch. I mean, I couldn't take my eyes off it when I was viewing this thing. And Cage, who plays both Charlie and his non-existent brother Donald, two very different personality types, often interacting in the same scene. Um, really fun to watch and weird and just uh captivating performance really so that's why it's my number one good pick Very good so pick. Gomez, close it out nicholas cage's best performance is the 2000 high octane 1969 shelby gt 500 gone in 60 seconds one of my favorite movies of his that is definitely my number one i love this whole movie like I said in the beginning, I, I love cars, too. One of my favorite things, driving fast, even though I drive a Kia Telluride. doesn't go <laughs> as fast as a GT500 Shelby Mustang. But it does the trick to get me to A and B with my family safely. Love this movie. Just love the concept of Nicolas Cage in this movie. Uh, again, the stars, just him and the cars. Uh, well, also, it helps when you have Angeline Jolie as your co-star, too, uh, in the movie. Mm. Um just a great film, fun film, great action, great concept, high octane cars, unbelievable. That's my number one, Gone in 60 Seconds. That is another fun performance. And one of my favorite character names he's had, Memphis Reigns. Yes. I probably still have to go with Caster Troy. From Caster Troy. Troy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's had a long list of odd, odd character names. But uh, yeah, no, that's a good one. Good times. Any honorable mentions for you, Gomez? Anybody that didn't make the cut? Well, unfortunately, honorable mentions is Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. But there's a flick, 1990, uh, with him called Firebirds. Hmm. Um, you know, it, again, it, I don't think it was like a high-budget movie, uh, but it was him and Tommy Lee Jones, and I believe Sean Penn was in this movie too. It's about a military helicopter pilot. And he's like saying how good he is and how it is. And then once he puts this eye, eyepiece focal to like really control everything for firing yeah. mechanisms of the sh- of the uh, of these awesome helicopters at that time, and they're trying to train him and he had trouble. And it's just one of those how can I say low budget films that I thought was great and deserved a little bit more credit than anything. But that's one of my high mentions too. Nice. Sean Young's in that too. How about that? Or Sean Young, not Sean Penn. Yeah, Sean Young. Sorry. Oh, two very different people. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's been a while since I've seen that film. I, I just, I don't know why Sean Penn came in my head. It's an automatic, I think. <laughs> Good times. What about you, Matt? Any honorable mentions? 
So Bringing Out the Dead, which is a kind of a, a lesser known Mark Scorsese uh, film where he plays a an EMT in New York, um, kind of who's kind of cracking under the pressure of his job adaption or adaptation, if you will. I thought his turn as the psychotic Batman in, in Kick-Ass was pretty fun. And then obviously let's not neglect his turn cameo as Fu Manchu in werewolf Nazi werewolf women of the SS um, from the Grindhouse uh, <laughs> trailer. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> that stinger will not let you down for this episode. Very don't good. worry about that. Very good. Very good. <laughs> so yeah, Matt had ma- mentioned Mandy, of course, and a couple of other ones I was going to say. Um, his role in Snake Eyes in the Palmas film, that's another good mm-hmm. one too, where Cage really gets to cut loose a little bit. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's about it for me then, right? I still haven't seen Bring Out the Dead. I got to check that out. I was just looking at his IMDb list, and there are so many that I just know are not going to be good that I just feel like I have to watch. <laughs> like, I just have to see some of this stuff and see what it's like. You got to work on your Trapped self-esteem. In- you can't be doing this. Trapped in paradise. <laughs> But um, I actually like him a lot in uh, that failed David Caruso vehicle, uh, Kiss of Death. I don't know if any of you guys saw that from the uh, early 90s. No, I heard it. I didn't see that one. Yeah, good stuff. You know what, too? I haven't seen Moonstruck. I was trying to fit it in before this show, um, and I didn't get to see it. So I saw that very when I was very young, actually. My mom took me to see that movie. I had no choice. I had to go with her because uh, oh. I was young at that age. But I thought he was... He was really weird and really good in that movie, especially with having a mechanical hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so to, well, yeah, I got to add that one to my list. It's on Criterion Channel right now. I feel the full Criterion edition is actually on there. So, there you go, folks. And that's it. Who? What is your favorite uh, Nick Cage performance? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We'd love to get your thoughts. Gomez, thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of the show. We are so happy to have you. This was a lot of fun to. It was nice to. Not have to worry about seeing something in the theaters, risking getting COVID. I'm already sick, as you can tell. And, uh, but still, it was a nice way to uh, spend some time. So thank you so much for joining us today. We had a lot of fun. Oh, I can't I speak for Matt. Matt might be miserable. I can't say. No, I, yes. Thank you for thank you for stopping by. It was nice to be with you. No, thank you, uh, Chris and Matt. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Hopefully, I can get you guys on uh, Playlist Wars. Let us Absolutely. Know Listen, you did Queen, which is my favorite band, so I'm off the list for that, unfortunately. What else can I do, Matt? I can do... Pixies? Pixies I can do. I can do Pet Shop Boys. Pet I Shop Boys. I can do... Um, what else? Obviously, Bowie's A number one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we haven't oh, had Bowie oh, yet. Foreigner. Foreigner. Yep, Foreigner. that was one I was just going to say. That's what <laughs> right. I grew up with, too. Now that's now that's not my, none of those are my list except maybe Pixies, but I'm I'm speaking for my buddy Chris. Matt. What would you do? Yeah, if 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 you if you had the command of playlist wars, what would what would you want to talk about? See, I would probably go with a genre. Um, mm. So I would think either like punk or like like late '90s, early 2000s indie rock stuff. When I was really, like, like stuff that I was really into when I was a lot younger. Yeah, if I had to go with a band, maybe Pixies or hell, even Led Zeppelin, maybe. I, I there was a t- or Metallica, but you guys already did Metallica. We did so. uh, Zeppelin, yeah. Metallica already. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, I guess that's what I would go with. I'd probably go with a genre myself. All right. Well, I definitely, uh, I'll definitely pass along to my wonderful co-host and the brains of uh, Playlist Wars too. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm the I'm the face of Playlist Wars. <laughs> but I will definitely tell I'll definitely talk to Brian and see what we can do. We do have some awesome episodes coming up soon too. So I'm looking forward to uh... So yeah, how do people find you? 
So they can find us on Twitter, uh, Playlist Wars. You can find us on Instagram, Playlist Wars Podcast. Uh, they can find Brian and myself at Twitter. Brian's at Brian Colburn. I'm at The Gomez. And we have also our website, PlaylistWarsPodcast.com, where all our shows are there. Guys can vote on the episodes and tell us who, who got it right. And if also you think we didn't get it right, critique us. We have comment section there too. <laughs> Good times. Thank you again so much. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll have you back on soon. Don't hesitate to ever look at the calendar if there's something that's popping up or if there's some others. Maybe, you know, you're like, Chris, let's spend a few minutes and let's talk about, you know, um, guy. You know what, Matt? I really thought I'd come up with something funny right off the head of my head, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> so disappointed in myself. What are you going to do? Gomez's favorite Leslie, Leslie Nielsen movies or um, who knows? Uh, that kind of just... Guys. You're not really getting very far with that. How about Liam Neeson? I guess is what I meant to say. Liam Neeson. Okay, there you go. There's a guy who's done a bunch of stuff too in the Nick Cage uh, vein as of late. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, he did so. actually. All right, we're gonna go ahead then take an extended break. Everybody, take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated, and we will see you soon. Thank you again. Nicholas Cage as Fu Manchu. This is my vision! <laughs> Werewolf Women of the SS.